Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast that reveals everything you ever wanted to know about interiors and explains how to make that knowledge really work for you in your home. Now, the tragic news is, boo-hoo, <laughs> that this is the last in the current series of The Great Indoors in that come run quick. But don't worry, because there will be another series. Uh, we're working on it right now, so do make sure you are subscribed via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts, and it will arrive like an exciting present without you having to do anything about it as soon as we've made it. Oh, and of course, do please continue to rate and review. You know the drill. And a big thanks to The Peach Butterfly, whose review this weekend described the show as great information and ideas, humour and a big pinch of friendship, which is pretty much all we could ask for. And I also want to say that we're thrilled DFS has sponsored this podcast. DFS has been the expert in comfort for nearly 50 years and alongside its range of comfortable and stylish sofas also offers a wide range of bedroom, dining and garden furniture. So today, is designer paint worth the money? Oh my gosh, we've got some great research on this. We're also going to discuss some of the new mouth-watering book launches in interior design and finally plan your hallway for you. What should we start with? Let's do designer paint. Is it worth the money? I mean, when I threw this question out to the my Instagram community, I got flooded with people's points of view on this. And I think that's upfront, be clear that this is a discussion point here. This is absolutely points of view. Canvassing people we know who work in the industry, who use the paint all the time, what they think. Caveats aside. Caveats is aside. It, is it worth it? Well, first up, I thought, well, let's talk about how much money it is. I mean, what are we talking about? So if we're using a 2.5 litre tin of paint as our comparable, when we're talking about designer paint brands, so those are, I don't know, Farnball, Little Green, Zoffany, yeah, Mylands, those kind of brands, you're looking at spending upwards of 40 to 45 pounds for a tin of paint. Then, you know, you've got your Dulux and your Crowns middling around the kind of 15, 16, 17 pounds. And then, you know, you've got some trade brands like Leyland's and Johnston's who I think doing a bit of research could be as little as 11 pounds. So as a lover of designer paint, because I've got some, well, I've got a right old mixture in my house, actually. I use trade brands and designer paint brands. I'm going to kick off by defending 
the designer paint brands and why I think they're worth my money. And I'd say, first of all, the reason why I love a designer paint brand is I like the edit. I like the paint charts. I like the fact that they give you not much more than 100 colours to choose from. Um, Even that's quite a lot. (laughs) But I know what you mean. I mean, I think Dulux at the last count has more than 3,000 colours. I just, I can't even cope with picking the chart out, never mind (laughs) making a decision. I mean, they do sort of blend into one. Um, The paint brands, the British paint brands are absolutely brilliant at giving us a nice, clear edit and they know what colours work in this part of the world, the Northern Hemisphere. You know, British paint brands design paint to go up on the walls in the UK. Well, I think it's a really crucial point and it's much more difficult than you think and that is because in this Northern Hemisphere we have mostly a cool blue light and so colours will react to that. You know, you need to think about is that colour going to have a blue light on it or is it going to have a warm golden light on it? And it will change accordingly. So that's a key point to make that, yes, some of those British brands are focused on the Northern Hemisphere and the the quality of light we have in this country, which is very different from that hard, bright light in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. They also as well spend, you know, some of our money uh, that we give them from the paint on some lovely marketing. They produce beautiful, inspirational photography that can inspire. And I love them for that too. I totally buy into all of that, showing us what the new colours are, what the new trends are, producing nice images to help inspire us. So I think that all kind of works as well. Um, The other thing is there is an argument that pigment quality is superior in some of these designer paint brands. I spoke to Mylans about that. I've just used Mylans in my bedroom, actually. I've redone it in a very soft, pale pink called Threadneedle. And they said that when it comes to the sort of so-called designer paint, the more expensive paints, they will use natural pigments. So there are no sort of low-grade fillers or plastic bulking agencies or synthetic colours. They're getting their pigments from rocks and minerals and natural substances, which is why you get that quality with expensive paint where it does change a lot in the light. The colours will change. And also it can almost appear to be a living thing. Some of those colours look almost velvety when the light is shining on them. And that's because they've got so many different colours in them, which go to make up. It's a depth of colour. And, you know, to pick up on that point, if you look at a grey pavement, it's not actually grey. If you stop and look closely, then it's, well, it's got, got bits of chewing gum in it for a start, uh, isn't you, it? Yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> find a bit with no chewing gum. Look around the chewing gum or even assess the quality of the colour of the chewing gum. But there is pink, there's yellow, there's bits of black, there's green and blue, all sorts of colours in, in a road or a pavement. And that's going to make up grey, which is one of the reasons why grey is such a complicated colour to get right because it's got so much in it. And I think expensive paint brands will claim that they put more pigment in them and more layers of pigment, more colours going to make up that one shade, which means you get a fabulous quality of colour also plays into the nightmare of how do you get the right shade because it will change according to the time of day. But I think, you know, that's a lovely quality to have and that's when you need to put your tester pot of paint, not on the wall, but on a a large sheet of paper so that you can then just tack it up on the wall with masking tape and then move it around the room for different parts of the day. I should point out that 
Sophie is now staring at me quite ferociously because last time she came to my house, I had quite a lot of pink paint samples <laughs> painted directly onto the wall. And she was completely horrified. Schoolboy error. Um, Schoolboy school error. Um, and also kind of couldn't quite be bothered to find a piece of paper. But I have now yeah, since. Yeah, that's more like it. Yeah. <laughs> I've done more paint samples on bits of paper uh, since. And dutifully <clears throat> moved them around the room, have you? Well, yeah, ish. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, picking up on your point about the, the pigment and the kind of quality of the pigment, I was chatting to David... Mottishead, who's the MD of the Little Green Paint Company. And I don't even know whether I'm allowed to broadcast this or whether this was a completely like disclosed conversation, but I'm going to share it anyway, because that's what this whole podcast is about. <laughs> Sorry, David. Sorry, David. Um, he was sort of telling me that the very saturated colours within the Little Green range are absolute complete lost leaders. They hemorrhage money on those colours. He said that his atomic red has got as much pigment as the Ferrari paint colour has. Really? It's that deep. Yeah. And he said, but the good news for them is, is they don't sell very much of it. People use it as an accent. I then did tell him that my son's bedroom is painted on all four walls and he gasped at how much money that must have cost him. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, luckily I'm in a minority. Um, and then obviously the majority of the paint they sell is the very pale off-whites and things like that. And that's how they balance it as a, as a paint brand. It's definitely true that there will be more layers of pigment in a more expensive paint. And Mylands, for example, have a finish called Marble Matte, which has a very slight sheen in it uh, so it's a little bit more wipeable and cleanable and that has Carrara marble dust in it that sounds terribly posh doesn't it oh my but what they've said dust in it. <laughs> such dinner party talk that is what they said was that it gives it a a lovely finish and a and a nice sort of sheen to it but also because marble's really tough so it makes it quite scrubbable God, they did their sales pitch on you. You were right, old treat. I thought, for it. I thought it was amazing. My whole house is now painted in, in Carrara, Carrara marble, marble dust. Um, it's interesting, though, talking about finish, because I think that's, again, where we um, see the designer paint brands um, flourishing. Now, Fair and Ball, I think, adopted this very early on, doing their complete matte. Chalky finish. Chalky finishes, yeah. which um, they jumped on right early on. Yeah. And everybody really loved until they realised that all those sticky fingerprints start showing up. Don't come off, You know, you can only no. really use them in quite precious rooms and actually then they brought out their contemporary emulsion for more high traffic areas and more sort of... You do need something with a slight sheen in it. So for halls and landings, um, because you can wipe it down. That chalky stuff looks gorgeous, but only if you're not going to touch it. So I've just done my hallway in the most George the Floor gorgeous, lazuli, deep, rich, Eves Klein style blue by Zoffany. And I swear it is literally humming in colour. It's an electric blue and it's really deep and it seriously resonates I love it I've used a similar color before in a scheme um honest indigo from Dulux is a real color match it's an also a really lovely color but it didn't quite have that depth of honestly it really really does hum in color it's delicious but my goodness it's already marking Chalky finish. Yeah. Were we talking about schoolboy errors? I believe yeah. you've accused... Have you made one? Yeah, I think I... Well, or I'm going to be redecorating every six months, <laughs> which apparently is what... I mean, I've spoken to decorators who have some, you know, high-end clients who decorate in some of these chalky finish brands like Fair and Ball, and they literally have to go back to the house... And people are happy to pay for it, go back and redecorate every six months. It's really that difficult look. that argument from from a number of different levels so one just on the expensive paint versus cheaper paint I would say if you are someone that likes to redecorate all the time and you do it yourself then that can be a really affordable and cheap way to bring in a new look and perhaps it's not worth spending hundreds of pounds 
on a really expensive paint if you're going to get rid of it, you know, in six months to a year's time. So that's one argument. And the other is, you know, we need to dispose of paint tins responsibly and getting rid of all that leftover paint. So there are now more brands which are eco paints and made with sort of you know, less synthetic like, ingredients. Like um, Earthborn and Paint the Town Green. And there's one called E-I-C-O. I don't yeah. even know how to, I-C-O. Yeah. To, I don't know how to pronounce it. But I think that's also something you have to think about. It's perhaps not quite responsible. Not just all on the look, to, yes. being a bit responsible too. When I put this out to Instagram, I did get quite a lot of decorators commenting oh, did, on this ooh. very topic. Do you want to know what they had to but say? But it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's always, designer paint has always divided professional decorators with some of them. They hate it partly because of the chalky finish and they don't like the no, way it No, do you know what? They, basically, what the general feedback that came back from the decorators was with certain, not all designer paint brands, but Farron Ball came up a lot and they're not saying they don't like it, but they're just saying they have to price to do an extra coat against other paint brands just because the consistency's thinner. Yeah. So we know Fair and Ball use quality pigments in their paint. And I'm not sure what their argument is for making it a thinner paint. Maybe this goes towards the finish or the end result. But I know myself, whenever I've called in a variety of different paint brands and I do my little swatches, the Fair and Ball paint is significantly thinner than the other brands. So that's just something to consider. It's an expensive paint and you need more of it potentially to get the coverage. So that came up quite significantly. Across the board, you know, your big hitters like Dulux seem to be, you know, I speak to a lot of decorators and they're always happy. It's very consistent, isn't it? We're not talking about the quality of the paint here. We're talking about the performance as in how does it go on and how many coats do you need? We can't really have this conversation without addressing the colour matching you know, so a lot yeah, of people will yeah. say, I can't afford or I don't want to pay that much for that designer brand. What's wrong with me going to a cheaper brand and getting it matched? Yeah. So that, so I had lots of tips on that too. Yeah. Lots of disappointment with matching, particularly Farron Ball. You see, this is where I think Farron Ball are really quite clever because their colours are... They're so complex. They're really difficult to and copy. And they're really yeah. specific. I don't buy a lot of Framble for myself personally because they're just not my colour palette. I like colours. It's too more, muted for you, A little it? bit yeah. too muted for yeah. me. But I appreciate that if you're trying to create that look, they're really sophisticated. Yeah. And they're really well thought out and they are they are hard to match. So you could go along and try and match to someone like Dulux, but essentially they're just going to try and get the closest match to their existing 3,000 colours. They're not actually matching it to the... I didn't know that. See, I think that's really interesting. I thought they were creating a bespoke paint, especially for me, that I'd taken along with my fire and ball card, but they're not. They're going through their 3,000 colours and more and yeah. picking the nearest one. So you're not getting actually a colour match from that. You you're are just getting, getting a, yes. Now then you've got Valspar who's selling B&Q. They say they will colour match to the molecule. But again, you know, you're not getting the same finish. You're not getting that, like you're saying, the play on light, the pigmentation. The and that finish. comes from the natural pigments, which you can't replicate. No, you So can't that's replicate. the thing I think maybe you are making that decision that with an expensive paint, you will get all those depths of pigments, the quality of the light. You can't replicate that. So you have to make a choice. I mean, I find rule of thumb actually... I like to splash out on a designer paint when it is a very specific colour. Usually for me, it is those really rich, bright colours like the atomic reds and the lazuli mm. blue. So I'm really getting that depth of pigmentation. And then if I'm looking for an off-white, 
I'm happily skipping off to Dulux. Lots of people have said that to me as well, that they might have a more expensive paint in the sitting room or in the bedroom somewhere where it really, where the colour is kind of the focal point of the room, but for hall stairs and landings, which they might just be doing in white or ceilings. <gasps> white hallway stairs and landing. How could they? Got one. <laughs> well, we're getting on to hallways later on this podcast. Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that later. Um, but yes, more affordable, cheaper paint for those areas which where it isn't all about the colour. So, in summary, is design a paint worth the money? Are we in agreement with this, Kate? Because I kind of think it is. I'm not sure we're often in agreement, but <laughs> I think in this case, yes. for my opinion, is design a paint, it is worth my money because I like that finish and that depth of colour that you get from it. Slightly uncomfortable feeling that we're actually agreeing on something. Well, I'm, I'm sure it won't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> So, still to come, your last fix of design crimes for a little while. And, of course, we'll be designing the hallway. And once again, let me remind you that we'd love to hear from you with your design crimes, your thoughts on anything to do with the podcast, and, of course, suggestions of what you'd like us to cover in the new series. So, best place to find us is on Instagram. I hang out at Sophie Robinson Interiors and Kate's Mad About the House. But now, next up, we're going to do a little book review. Lots of new books have come out, and also it's a great time of year. Make a good present. Sophie's trying to reach her books. Don't fall off the chair. I've lugged these ones all the way up from Brighton. They're heavy tomes. I mean, these are like coffee table books, aren't they, is what we like. I see the one on the top of your pile. This was the one that interested me the most because it's by Anna Starmer called Love Colour, Choosing Colours to Live With, and... Anna Starmer, if I'm right, is the woman that inspired you with the colour psychology. No, you are That's incorrect. why this book was not what I thought it was going to be. That explains a huge amount to me. Because I read this book and I thought, there's not enough of the colour psychology in here. I want to hear all about this woman oh, growing no, up in a no. hotel. Different oh, no, woman. that's Angela Wright. No, ah. so Anna Starmer is Luminary Colour on, uh, that's her business name. Right, this is clearly a brilliant book. I've been reviewing something completely different. <laughs> You've got the wrong um, author, Kate. I've got the wrong Oh, shall I begin with this one then and get her in the picture as quick as I can? So Anna Starmer is a trend forecaster, travelling the globe with her camera, taking images, putting together colour palettes, seeing which colour combinations work, looking at the emotions and feeling behind colour. So yes, there is a bit of colour psychology, but in order for brands to use that to communicate whatever they want to communicate with their collections. So that's her profession. And this honestly, is much awaited by me. I mean, I'm a massive fan of Anne. I think she's deeply, deeply clever, inspirational human being and is possibly the book that I wish I'd done myself. So there you go. You don't get a higher accolade than that, do you? No. The reason why I like it is, as we've already ascertained earlier in this podcast, I'm a flicker, not a reader. And I just absolutely love I mean how many pages have we got in here it's quite a nice big thick book oh it's weighty 256 pages of mouth-watering photography and color palettes I just want to read you a bit of an excerpt um it's a section on pink twilight pink is the most delicate shade quiet self-contained the touch of peach warm with promise this is the color of clouds just as sun is setting an elusive glow permeating the sky such subtlety and assuredness in a room reads as distinctly grown up, calm, sophisticated pinks with a gender neutral appeal. 
pale powdery pinks can be confident colours. See, that's why I like it. That's why I like what she's saying. Especially when grounded by dove grey, this classic combination draws pink into a more contemporary space, enabling colour to stand alone. It's just nice musings. I mean, um, you know, I don't think you're going to find this a very in-depth interior design kind of guide to how to decorate. This is more like an inspirational jumping off point and it's absolutely delicious. And if anyone put this in my Christmas stocking, I'd be delighted. <laughs> so this new book by Emily Henson is called Be Bold, Interiors for the Brave of Heart, which I, I'm not sure I am. <laughs> and I opened this book and I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't know, but I loved it. I really surprised myself. I'm not massively adventurous with colour, but these are beautiful pictures and interiors. She's got a few pictures on staircases, which just completely bowled me over, where someone has painted the upright of the stair in one shade of blue and the step in a darker shade of blue and the banisters in a beautiful sort of ochre mustard yellow. And of course, the staircase, the spine of the house, such an important focal feature in the house and often forgotten about and ignored. And that is a staircase. It's like, wow. And there's another chapter. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I must admit... I'm, no, you can't get I'm a word in edgeways. I'm speechless yes. how much you love this because this book, it is absolutely massive attack, full-on maximalist, colour clash, pattern... You know, it's bold, it's like in your face, it's completely uncompromising, but maybe that's why you love it. And I mean, Emily really knows her onions. She's a long-standing interior stylist. She started off her career as a window display, sort of visual merchandiser for anthropology, and now works for all the top brands in the UK. And then coupled with Catherine Gratwick, who is a very established and fabulous photographer, it is an absolute visual feast. She talks about, which is something I get asked about a lot and is very much your area of expertise, but, you know, how to mix pattern. And she says, as with anything, it's good to know what the rules are, even if it's just so you can break them. So you can mix different designs as long as they share the same colour palette. So make sure your chosen patterns have three or four shades in common and then throw in a different colour for contrast. Break up a riot of pattern with some solid blocks of colour or add an unpatterned textile or paint in one of the main shades. So that sort of lays out very clearly how to mix up your patterns, yeah. which I thought was really so good advice. It's got a real magazine-y feel, I yeah. think, this book. And what's great with Emily is she's totally approachable. She's not a high-end interior designer, so all of these ideas that she talks about work for people on any budget. There's a lot in this book to admire and to like to look at. But crucially, I think it's a reader, not just a flicker. I was going to say it's ticking both of our boxes. Yes. I've got a lovely quote here. Um, there's just a lovely bit in the book that I love when she's talking about, because this is all about maximalism and about more is more and about people being worried about making risks. And she said, have you ever noticed that most people with lots of tattoos don't seem to regret them? The more they have, the less it becomes about the one individual design being good or bad, relevant or dated. Instead, the whole picture, the collection itself tells a story about who the person is, where he or she once lived and their interests at certain points in their lives. Their skin is a living, breathing, evolving storybook that's all about them. I believe that this is how we should think of our homes. They should reveal who we are, how we like to live and the things that make us feel good. 
As an incurable maximalist, I struggle with homes that don't have much in them, mostly because they don't tell me anything about the people who live there. While I'm not advocating becoming a hoarder, or having tattoos for that matter, I do think that our possessions have a great deal to say about who we are. And I just couldn't agree more. Absolutely. No, I love that book. So uh, you can have the first one. I'd like the second one for Christmas, please. (laughs) (laughs) And we have one more book to talk about. And I've taken the cover off it, so now I can't tell you what it's called. Conscious Creativity. By by... Philippa Stanton, who's known as Five Foot Inf. Is that how she pronounces it on Instagram? So, yes, so Philippa is a massive influencer on Instagram. She's got just touching half a million followers. And so now it's almost like her full-time career. Now, this book isn't strictly an interiors book. This is a book about untapping your own sense of creativity. Hands-on, practical, inspirational guide on how you can just look outside the box. Take your inspiration from the 3D universe around you. How radical. (laughs) Which is ironic for Philippa, for someone who's made her fortune on Instagram, is actually now telling me everybody to get off it and go and literally smell the coffee. Or staring at rotten apples, I think you were, when you went to her workshop, weren't you? Yes, I I like this again because it's a book I immediately started reading. And the pictures are gorgeous, as you would expect. But the reading was interesting. And she talks very much at the beginning about how... I'm always taken by surprise at how unintentionally creative I start to come during a time of despondency. Feeling dreadful seems to unconsciously liberate me. I allow myself to let go of expectations. And I thought that was interesting and that immediately drew me in and I wanted to to read more. I mean, I'm not sure I'm going to go and stare at apples uh, tomorrow <laughs> so morning. Justin, I may, I may to... have to go and do something else more constructive and less creative. Um, well, just to but... explain to everybody what the staring with apples thing was, because I can think we've got quite a lot of confusion listeners right now. To celebrate launching the book, Philippa hosted a workshop, which I was very lucky to be invited to. And she will be hosting more workshops in the new year that people can sign up to. And she's got this incredible series of exercises that she gets you to do to start unleashing your creativity through sensual exploration, if you like. And the looking exercise was so interesting. She created all these interesting corners around the venue that we were in, which was inspirational in itself, and just said to us, go off into the room and find a corner that you find interesting. You didn't even have to find it fascinating, just interesting. And just look at it for three minutes. Just stare at something for three minutes. You know, bonkers, right? So I was just, oh, there's a table of rotting, you know, sort of windfall apples that she'd laid out on a table. And I just stared at those for three minutes. And after I got rid of the conversation in my head, which was like, oh, should I be sea pink or rose ash in the living room? I still haven't decided and I really need to order the paint. But, you know, once I'd finally stopped that little voice that twitters away in my head all the time and just looked at the apples, I found it a really fascinating exercise because I started noticing details that weren't there originally. For example, I started looking at the spaces in between the apples And it just got, you know, we just look at everything so fast, scroll past, flick, swipe left, all that stuff, just stopping and really looking and taking in the colour, the hue, the texture, the light and dark was actually really calming. It brought my blood pressure Mm. down. It was really, really nice. There there was something else in the book I love, though, because I've always sort of floated around the edge of this. Is it synesthesia? Yes. So Philippa's got synesthesia and she's a sort of synesthesia expert. So when she hears music she or sees. sound she sees shapes yes so she creates paintings because she's a fine artist 
of sounds she's heard. But I've always thought I've had a little bit of that around the edges. If you say Monday to me, that's a brown circle. And Tuesday is a white hexagon. Yeah. Wednesday's green doesn't have a shape. And I've always had that. And I can remember at the age of five knowing that Monday was a brown circle. Um, and, and Tuesday was a white hexagon. So Philippa's argument is that we're all born with it and we lose it. We lose it over and time. And as a baby, it's all about that. Um, so I think, again, another reader, not a flicker. Well, I think it's a visual delight, but clearly we both got really different things from it already. Yes. So I think that's the kind of book you could go back to again and again and again. So on to design crimes. But I think, Sophie, have you declared an armistice for this week? Well, do you know what, what, Kate? I've come all over full of Christmas cheer and goodwill to all men. That's most unlike (laughs) you, Sophie. I know what this is. This is because you love purple tinsel so much that you can't bear to have it declared a design crime. (laughs) Do you know, when I was thinking of this, when I thought, okay, Christmas design crimes was like, no, that's not a crime. No, that's not a crime. No, seriously, flashing Christmas Santas crawling out of your chimney. Thumbs up from me. Love it. You know. <laughs> Chocolate for breakfast. Oh, my gosh. All of it. Poinsettias. You know, just bring out the naffness. Bring out the kitsch. More is more. I love it all. This is our Christmas present to you. <laughs> but when we come back in January, <laughs> we're going to be all over those design crimes, which we should point out is not about whether you can afford to do this or the other or about being elitist. It's about saying these are the rules and this is why you should or shouldn't break them. And I've got a confession. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek because i got half of them in my own house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lie, everywhere in my house. <laughs> exactly, me too. <laughs> and wood chip wallpaper on oh, the ceiling. Yes, yes, yes. You already know about my Artex. So there we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so going for our final plan the room in the series one of The Great Indoors, and we are in the hallway, which I would just like to shout from the rooftops. I've just finished my hallway and I love it. It's all over Instagram for you to check out. She's gone, as you might expect, for a very (laughs) understated colour scheme. It's very muted. Do go and have a look at Sophie Robinson Interiors. (laughs) Well, you know, for anybody who thinks the hallway just needs to be some indiscriminate shade of magnolia, I'm here to prove you wrong. My hallway currently is the jewel in the crown, the absolute hero of my house. It's I the just, only room she's decorated. I've actually... No, that's, I've, yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> that's, not, that's not quite fair. Well, but you make a, a very valid point. I think hallways are often neglected. They're used as dumping grounds. They're full of shoes, full of coats. And, you know, the point about a hallway is the first thing you see. Not only is it the first place that your guests see when you come in, but it's the first thing you see when you come in. And I've made this point before. If you come in for a really rubbish day at work and you open the door and the hall's going, move along, get out of the way, don't put the bike there. Oh, you've tripped over the shoes. That's not what you want. You want to open the front door to a space that goes, come in yeah. there's gin over there put your coat on this hook slide your bag onto that table it needs to be somewhere that welcomes you in and makes you feel better as soon as you come well, in it makes you feel like you're at home exactly you know so I think you know for me this is again one of the rooms where you can make a really big statement you know it's also a room you only ever pass through unless like me I mean I literally have put a uh, an armchair Sophie on my landing lives in hers. <laughs> I, I know it is my favorite room on my house but you know typically 
I think it's an opportunity to use that deeper, bolder colour, that fabulous wallpaper that you might be like, eek, that would do my head in if I had to look at it all the time. You know, it's an opportunity to push the boat out. Actually, I've done that in a different way in my hall because I've got white painted floorboards leading from the hall to all the rooms off it. And I have pale walls, but I have a very striking stair runner, which is kind of burgundy with cream spots on it, big spots. And for me, that's the statement when you come in. It's quite dramatic. It's a bit different. And you're immediately sort of announcing to the people that come in what the house is about, what the people who live there might be like. So for me, I've done it through the stairs. Sophie's obviously done it through the walls and the stairs and the floor. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's a really important thing to do. I also don't think it matters if your hallway is dark because quite often the rooms going off it will then appear lighter by yeah, contrast. That is a good and trick. actually, if you're in a dark hall, your eye can be drawn to a lighter room at the end of the corridor mm. or to one side and actually make you want to go there and find out what it is. Yeah. I tell you one thing I did agonise about a lot when I was picking the colour was I was aware that whatever colour I picked for the hall had to connect all the other rooms in my house. Now, I've gone for this really rich blue because essentially it is my favourite colour, apart from pink, but I was never going to get a bright pink hallway past the husband. So I know that that lovely, rich, juicy blue is probably going to get pulled into the other rooms in my house, whether it's just an accent colour and accessories or artwork. It kind of is a good linking colour. So I think that's a good place to start. People talk about how do you make rooms flow? And I think that's worth thinking maybe the walls of your hall or the stairs or some element in the hall should have a strong part of your colour in it that leads off into the other rooms. Um, The other thing I was going to make is if you have a, a small dark hall, which many people do, is do put a collection or just one big mirror in it and try and yeah. angle it perhaps to one of the rooms coming off the hall so you can sort of suck a bit of light out of one of the other rooms to bounce back into the hall. Yeah, and just gives like height and sense of space yeah. for checking your lippy on the way out. Spinach between your teeth. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that kind of thing. (laughs) And the other thing is actually, I mean, a lot of people don't like wall lights, but you quite often find in a hall that you haven't got the clearance for a dramatic Mm. pendant light because to have it coming so you don't hit your head on the stairs, it's got to be quite low in the hall. So think about maybe wall lights in a hallway. Hall lights, picture lights. Oh, hello. Who was that? Oh, that's our, that's our, oh, look, our that's producer Kate, noise. always telling us to turn our phones yeah, off. Yeah, now look at her. And now look at oh, her. Yeah. Oh, we can be Phone's smug. ringing, yes. <laughs> Is your mum ringing? <laughs> so we've done mirrors, lighting hallways. That's all the look. Yeah, so we've got everything looking really pretty. How about the practical stuff? Well, it does, the hallway does have to be practical because it's got people coming in and out of it all the time and you need storage. And storage? I, <laughs> I mean, oh, that's just such a But headline, I get asked it? all the time, you know, what do I do with all the coats, all the bags, all mm. the shoes? And I do say one of the things I say is you actually have to be a bit disciplined about it. If you've got four people living oh, in your Whiplash. hall... You, make you, can't, all our coats. you can't all have all your coats in the mm. hall all the time. There just isn't room. That's the tough side of it but then on the other side if you've got a space under the stairs or a little alcove buy hooks that are fit for purpose by which I mean 
big hooks on which you can put more than <laughs> one coat. coat. Yeah. Heavy coats. Not pretty little hooks that look like squirrels' bums and things that, you know, hold one small jacket. Squirrels' bums. Well, yeah. I think anthropology have a huge line in <laughs> <Of> squirrel bum <laughs> hooks. Squirrel bum hooks and fox faces and things. <laughs> but yes, buy, buy the stuff that's fit for purpose, practical big hooks that you can hang stuff on. And shoes is another bugbear, isn't it? Because mm. they just get chucked in a heap at the bottom of the stairs and so no one can find them. So what's your top tip for them? Well, I've seen, I haven't done, but I saw in a house, I think it might have been an Airbnb one, where they'd created a long shelf, which was effectively a bench. Underneath there was another narrower shelf. So the idea was that all the shoes lined mm. up on the shelf underneath and you could sit on the top one to put your shoes on. And that wasn't very wide. So that I thought was a really yeah, good idea. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Um, and sometimes actually we just got a basket and shove a load of them in there and it yeah. just stops them being scattered. And again, you know, you have to take some of them upstairs. Yeah. You yeah, can't be have disciplined. All the sh- and school bags is another thing. So you can when your children are smaller. And scooters, <laughs> yes, we're past those days. Those are murder on your paint. Your, your zoffany blue is not going to stand up to those scooters. But you can have also hooks at different heights. So adult coat Yes, hooks, that's really important. And then Get lower kids down ones their for school bags yeah. and things. And also, I'm a big fan of a, a hook with a basket for each person or child with a label. So that is your basket into which you put you know your hat your gloves your shoes oh my God, that's your label such a good idea oh okay you, you can just do come that and in live with me and whip us all into shape it's I, 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 there's too much color <laughs> <laughs> i'll come for the weekend but i've got to bring my own food uh, yes, so, yes yes you know, yes yes i don't sure worry i'll pop a scented candle in your room to keep you happy <laughs> <laughs> so storage obviously there's other practical considerations isn't there i mean for me personally <laughs> We bought our house, which is a country house dropped in the middle of a field. They had beige carpet in the hallway. I was like, how has this ever been like a thing? Because we have boots and it's not mud even mud-coloured carpet. It's not is even it? mud-coloured. Yeah. Anyway, we finally got rid of it and we've replaced it with the tiles. Um, so I just think, you know, you've got to be realistic about things being hard wearing. I mean, I personally don't like to go around someone's house with their cream carpet and I have to take my shoes off and it completely ruins my outfit. <laughs> I can't bear that. So, you know, wood tiles for me is a good idea. And then mopping stuff is the key. I yeah, think it's mopping, someone isn't it? asked me the other day about, you know, should I paint my hall floors white? Cause I have white hall floors. And I said, well, you know, you need to tell me where you live and who you are. I live in a, in a city and I don't have a dog. And my kids do take their shoes off when they come into the house. I don't know who trained them to do that. Somebody did and they seem to do it. <laughs> um, but so for me, a white floor is fine because it's mostly socks and a cat and it's a pavement dirt that's coming mm. in it's not mud yeah I've seen people put sort of like wood panelling um below the sort of dado rail and painted in a you know acrylic eggshell or something yeah. like that it's a really good idea especially if you've got wet dogs like you say yeah. scooters kids um there's lots of paint brands that do diamond finish or you know really hard working I saw something paint finishes, which is a good thing to look out um for. in a house in Portugal you know how they have all the houses covered in tiles mm. and I went into this house and below the dado rail and I don't know if that's a Portuguese thing or if they'd put one in but basically halfway 
the bottom half of the wall was tiled. Well, I think the Victorians did a fair bit of that. Um, they might, yeah, maybe they yeah. did. And this was all sort of odd tiles. It was almost like they'd used lots of leftovers. So it was quite a random okay, nice. pattern, but so practical. I wish I thought of that now. I could have taken my tiles up the wall. It looked brilliant. Yes. Well, there's something to do next weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Your husband will be fine. Oh, you spent all weekend painting. Can you just tile over it now, please? Yeah, no, honestly, trust me on that. <laughs> Finally, a little executive summary of a few of the most important ideas we've covered today. Is expensive paint worth it? Well, it depends on what you're looking to do. If it's the key element in the room, then yes, we think it is. We talked about some of the new book launches out at the moment. And in summary, by Love Colour by Anna Starmer for inspiration. By Emily Henson's Be Bold if you're thinking about pushing your boundaries and Philippa Stanton's Conscious Creativity, which is a fascinating read and will also help you tap a little more into the 3D world rather than the 2D screen world. And finally, when it comes to your hallways, it's quite simple. Go bold and sort out the storage. Now, we've put a lot of that key information and some helpful links over on our blogs. Mine is sophierobinson.co.uk and Kate's is madaboutthehouse.com. So, that's it. Almost the very end of our very first podcast series. Kate, I feel a bit emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. You know, we started out on this just six episodes ago, not really knowing what we were getting ourselves in for. Not knowing what we were doing. Not, <laughs> clearly not knowing what we were doing. Thank goodness for Kate Taylor for steering this massive podcast ship. But yeah, I mean, I just thought I'd touch base. How's it been for you? I never knew it would be so exhausting to talk so much. You'd think I'd know that. <laughs> You're so good at it. I've really enjoyed it. Have you? One thing I think it's shone a light on for me is, first of all, how much can we talk and how much do we know? Like it's, we are, I just almost feel like, yes, we can do a second series. We are never going to run out of things to discuss around this subject that we're so passionate about. And then second of all, who knew that so many other people People shared our fascination for interiors. Yes, that's been you know, really show's interesting. Been yeah. a bit of an unexpected hit. And I just want to thank everybody so much for downloading, giving us all those lovely reviews, chatting to us on our social media, and being part of this very first professional interior design podcast and do keep chatting to us you know we've we're coming back on the 10th of january yeah. with the next episode so a little bit of a break now but get in touch tell us anything you want to know more about any more of your design dilemmas your questions obviously your design crimes <laughs> but let us know what you want to hear about as well yeah we love to hear from you yeah. and just before we go one Final massive big squeeze of a thanks to DFS for sponsoring this podcast and making it possible. Another massive high five to our very patient, diligent and extremely talented Kate Taylor, the producer who's made sense of all our ramblings. And once again, a massive thanks to you guys for tuning in and listening. We wish you all a very happy Christmas and a new year. And we'll see you in the great indoors. Merry Christmas. <laughs>